Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. If you're interested in getting some merch, visit my YouTube channel, or you can donate directly via Venmo or PayPal following the links in the description. You can submit case suggestions to southerngirlcrimestories at gmail.com or DM me on social media. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. We're just heading south of uh, Beaumont, or north of Beaumont. We're heading north of Beaumont. Yo, where are we going? Just... No, this is a... Road. Are you f***ing kidding me? You better not take... You better not take me anywhere I don't want to go. I want to go into the city. Jeez. Amber Alyssa Takara was born on January 3rd, 1990. After being adopted, she grew up in the Miccosukee Cree First Nation tribe in Alberta, Canada. At age 20, Amber was a mother to a 14-month-old son named Jacob, but struggled to make ends meet. She would end up moving between her mother, Tootsie's home, whom she was very close with, and a local women's shelter called the Unity House, which provides resources to homeless people. At the Unity House, Amber met a woman named Evangeline, and the two decided to take Jacob on a spontaneous trip together to the capital of Alberta. On August 17, 2010, Amber and her baby flew from Fort McMurray to Edmonton, Canada. They booked a room outside the city at the Nisku Place Motel in Nisku, Alberta to save money. The next day, on August 18, 2010, Amber told Evangeline she wanted to go into the city, so Evangeline agreed to watch Jacob. The next evening at about 8 p.m., Amber made the biggest mistake of her life by accepting a ride to Edmonton from an unknown man. At some point during the ride, she made a phone call and the mail driver could be heard in the background assuring her they were traveling east on a back road toward the city. However, police would later believe the man was actually driving south into rural Leduc County. Sadly, Amber was never seen alive again. Amber and her mother usually communicated on a daily basis, so when that communication suddenly stopped, her mother became very worried. Evangeline contacted Tootsie and said that Amber had left in the middle of the night without her son Jacob. That's when Tootsie called the Royal Canadian Mounted Police to report Amber missing, but they didn't take her call seriously and figured she was just out partying. Three weeks later, the police had a press release stating they didn't believe Amber was in any kind of danger. Two years after Amber's disappearance, the police released an audio recording of a phone call between her and her brother, who was incarcerated at the time. This phone call was most likely made while Amber was riding with the unknown man. The police believed she made the call because she knew it would be recorded. Also, her mother had instructed her to pretend to be on the phone as a safety precaution while hitchhiking. 
The phone call lasted 17 minutes in total, but only one minute of it was released, and I'll play that for you now. Where are we by? We're just heading south of uh, Beaumont, or north of Beaumont. We're heading north of Beaumont. Yo, where are we going? Just... No, this is a... Are you f***ing kidding me? You better not take me. You better not take me anywhere I don't want to go. I want to go into the city. Okay. Yo, we're not going into the city, are we? No, we're not. Then where the f*** are these roads going to? 50th Street. 50th Street. Are you sure? Absolutely. Yo, where are we going? 50th Street. 50th Street. It's unclear when the police were alerted to the existence of this phone call or why they waited two years to release the phone call and ask for help in identifying the male voice heard in the background. Early into the investigation, the police made the decision to remove Amber from the missing persons database after receiving several unconfirmed sightings, a decision her family feels ultimately compromised the investigation. It took Tootsie a month to get her daughter re-added to the list, but it proved to be the first of many issues the family would face. Sadly, on September 1, 2012, Amber's remains were discovered by horseback riders in a field in Leduc County. 17 minutes from her hotel. Also, four other bodies have been discovered in that same area, leading people to suspect she may have been the victim of a serial killer. The four women are Edna Bernard, who went missing on September 22, 2002, Katie Sylvia Ballantyne, who went missing on April 28, 2003, Dolores Brower, who went missing on May 15, 2004, and Corey Ottenbright, who went missing on May 9, 2004. All were indigenous women, and all had been hitchhiking at the time of their disappearances. The police would end up being heavily criticized for not contacting or interviewing Evangeline, and she was never considered a person of interest in the case. A suitcase with Amber's belongings was also accidentally destroyed after it was recovered from her motel room in Nisku. In 2014, her family filed a complaint with the Civilian Review and Complaints Commission against the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Four years later, in August of 2018, the Independent Review of the Police Investigation released a 120-page report. The commission concluded the Royal Canadian Mounted Police's investigation was deficient in that various members were either not properly trained or did not adhere to their training and that various members did not comply with procedures and guidelines. The report also found that they didn't even begin the investigation into Amber's disappearance until a month after she was reported missing. It also took four months before officers investigating the disappearance conducted any interviews, including with her mother, which the commission described as unreasonable and unexplained. It was also found that inaccurate information about the case had been released to the media. While Amber's family felt the issues in the investigation could be attributed to racial bias, the report says they couldn't find any evidence of this. In total, 24 findings and 17 recommendations were made to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. 
On July 25, 2019, Deputy Commissioner Curtis Zabloki apologized to the family 11 months after the report was released. However, the family rejected his apology. Investigators continue to seek the public's assistance in identifying the driver's voice, but as of February 2023, he has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Around 4 a.m. on February 3, 2022, Nevada Highway Patrol found a four-door sedan on fire in the southbound shoulder area of Interstate 580. This area is located near the Galena Creek Bridge between Carson City and Reno, Nevada. When the fire was extinguished, authorities would find the remains of a young female shot to death. Four days later, the body was identified as Anna Marie Scott. Anna was a 23-year-old mother to a young son and daughter living in Reno, Nevada, and was a member of the Pyramid Lake Paiute tribe. She was loved by many and full of love and laughter, and was also a big fan of the Las Vegas Raiders. Weeks after Anna's murder, Fernley teenager Naomi Irian was kidnapped and murdered and found in the same location as Anna. However, Naomi's suspected killer was taken into custody, and authorities don't believe the two cases are connected. Since Anna's death, her family, tribe members, and representatives from the American Indian Movement have gathered several times to march and raise awareness surrounding Anna's death. They also want to remind Anna's killer that her death will not be swept under the rug without justice. Shockingly, a Washoe County Sheriff's deputy approached the group and asked what they were there for. When the group responded that they were there to raise awareness regarding the recent killings of indigenous people, the deputy asked, what killings are those? The group is also trying to raise awareness for 23-year-old Jakari Shaw, who was shot and killed by Sparks Police following a foot chase while possibly being sought for information relating to Anna's case. Her family says what hurts the most is being unable to give Anna a traditional, proper goodbye. Homicide detectives continue to seek information from anyone who may know Anna's movements and interactions in the days preceding February 3rd. Also, Secret Witness is now offering a $5,000 reward for information that would lead to an arrest. However, as of February 2023, Anna's murder remains unsolved. Kaysera Stops Pretty Places was born on August 14, 2001, and lived with her grandmother in Bighorn County, Montana. On August 24, 2019, 18-year-old Kaysera went missing from a neighborhood in Hardin, less than half a mile from the Crow Reservation boundary. Five days later, a jogger would find her body in that same neighborhood in the backyard of a home at the intersection of Mitchell Avenue and Rangeview Drive. Shockingly, Law enforcement knew they had found Kaysera's body, but failed to inform her family until September 11th, two weeks later. After they identified the body, the county coroner, Terry Bullis, took her remains to the funeral home he owned. He insisted that Kaysera's body be cremated before it could be returned to her family. Neither of Kaysera's legal guardians, her father, Alan, and her grandmother, Yolanda, were notified of this. Only her mother, Geraldine Bultel-Stops, was informed, and while she opposed the decision on religious grounds, Kaysera's remains were still cremated. This destroyed any potential evidence, and the local police would put all the blame on the coroner. 
The Bighorn County Sheriff's Office, the FBI, and the Montana Department of Justice have allegedly refused to investigate Kaysera's death. Days before she went missing, she filmed the beating of her 15-year-old brother by Horn County deputies at Crow Fair. She then posted the video to social media, and it's believed that one of the officers in the video was a responding officer when her body was discovered. A man who lived in the neighborhood where Kaysera was found told Kaysera's family that he saw police remove her cell phone from her pocket, allegedly to contact her family, which never happened. Today, Bighorn County has one of the highest rates of missing and murdered indigenous women in the entire United States. Locals believe the number is so high due to the incompetence and complete disregard for the lives of Native women and girls by the Sheriff's Office. Her loved ones have created a petition at change.org to raise awareness for Kaysera and all missing and murdered Indigenous women, and I'll put the link in the description if you wish to sign. They asked County Attorney Jay Harris to release their requested information as they had not even received a basic police report from the county. Harris released a public report detailing the investigation, but many say the report is more of an investigation of Kaysera's character than an active investigation into her death. It appears to her loved ones that authorities have never considered that she might have been a victim of murder. In a report released in August 2021, Attorney Harris references witness statements from four people with firsthand knowledge of her last moments alive. He wrote that the statements are not fully consistent, but generally describe an argument outside of a home on Rangeview Drive at about 3 a.m. involving Kaysera and three other people, a 17-year-old girl, a 19-year-old woman, and a 23-year-old man. According to the report, one of Kaysera's relatives told investigators that Kaysera had been hanging out at the house on Rangeview Drive and a woman living there bought her alcohol. Witness statements detailed in the report claim the argument prompted a nearby homeowner to activate their car alarm to disperse them, and they fled in different directions. Kaysera was last seen running toward the backyard, near where her body was ultimately discovered. The autopsy report revealed no evidence of injury or natural disease, and the toxicology report showed a blood alcohol level of 0.149. The report stated that although no neck injuries were detected, an asphyxia cause of death cannot be excluded. At this time, the cause and manner of death are classified as undetermined, but it leaves it open for reclassification if additional information is found. Her aunt, Grace Bulltail, who helped raise Kaysera, pointed out that they were unable to determine if the asphyxia was due to an assault or not. She also said that she consulted with multiple medical examiners about the case, and they didn't find the blood alcohol level to be a serious concern. The family's attorney, Mary Catherine Nagel, says that Kaysera's case is just one of many that have been overlooked. They say that Sheriff Big Hair is not investigating Kaysera's murder, and they have asked him to allow other entities to review her case and adequately investigate her murder. Also, since her body was found on the Crow Reservation border, the FBI says they have no jurisdiction and therefore cannot help in the investigation. As of February 2023, Kaysera's death remains undetermined and her case remains unsolved. Olivia Carey Lone Bear was born on October 11, 1985. 
At the age of 32, she was the mother of five children living on the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation in Newtown, North Dakota. She was also a member of the three affiliated tribes, and her youngest child, an infant, had tragically passed away. She loved spending time with her kids, playing poker, golfing, and attending concerts. On the night of October 24, 2017, she met friends at the Sportsman's Bar in Newtown and was seen leaving in the truck she had borrowed from a friend for the night, as she had done several times before. Whether or not she left alone that night has not been released due to the active investigation. However, she apparently made it home because her cell phone, money, wallet, and the clothes she had worn to the bar were there. Two days later, her father, Harley, and brother, Matthew, reported her missing when she failed to answer or return any of their phone calls. Meanwhile, volunteer Lisa Yellowbird Chase had been searching for missing indigenous women for several years. She even spent the last of her savings on a small boat and sonar equipment to help in her hunt for Olivia. Nine months into Olivia's disappearance, feeling drawn to Lake Sakakawea, Lisa, along with the volunteers of Sonish Scouts, went out on the water with the sonar equipment. They would end up detecting the shape of a truck under the muddy bed. She then notified the Montreal County Sheriff's Office, which took on the investigation. The Teal 2011 Chevrolet Silverado 2500 she was driving the night she disappeared was removed from the lake, which had been in more than 20 feet of water, nearly 400 feet from the shore and very close to Olivia's home. Olivia's body was buckled into the passenger side of the vehicle, but no obvious injuries were found on her body and an autopsy failed to determine the cause of death. Following her discovery, a witness told investigators that one of the last text messages he received from Olivia said she had been to a bonfire and was going mudding. However, nobody that the investigators interviewed could identify who she was with. Olivia's loved ones remained disappointed and frustrated by the initial efforts in the investigation. Sadly, as of February 2023, the person driving the truck has never been identified and this case remains unsolved. Selena Shelley Faye Not Afraid and her twin sister Zoe were born on June 8, 2003. Selena was a member of the Crow tribe and was described as a silly, fun-loving, bubbly person. At the age of 16, she was living in Bighorn County, Montana. She was a junior at Hardin High School and enjoyed playing volleyball, basketball, and horseback riding. Riding horses was one of her biggest passions, and she dreamed of having her own farm and wanted to become an Indian relay rider when she grew up. On New Year's Eve 2019, Selena attended a party on Montana Avenue in Billings. The next afternoon on January 1st, 2020, a witness saw her at the eastbound Interstate 90 rest area between Billings and Hardin, Montana. The witness noted that she was in a van with numerous other people and was not dressed appropriately for the very cold weather. When other family members went to pick her up from the rest area, she was nowhere to be found. With Selena's mother, Jackie Big Hair, and father, Leroy Not Afraid, desperate to find her, search teams scoured the area in the middle of a blizzard. Finally, nearly three weeks later, on January 20th, her body was found less than a mile from the rest stop. It was determined that she had died of hypothermia and her death was ruled accidental. However, 
Many believe her death was the result of foul play and her killer left her body out there. At the rest stop that day, a Snapchat photo was taken of her outside the van as a male yelled at her and snatched her hat. He has allegedly been identified as Wade Old Crow. The investigation revealed that there were six occupants in the van that day heading for Hardin, including Selena, when the van began having trouble and pulled over at the rest area. By the time the van had been up and running, Selena had vanished, and the group ended up leaving her and one other person behind. Selena's aunt, Annie Leiter, went to the site where her body was found the day after it was discovered. She said there was no imprint of a body, which she found strange considering she had supposedly been there for 19-plus days. She also said there were tire tracks near the site, which the Bighorn County Sheriff's Office denies. Her grandmother, Francine Amiot, says she believes her granddaughter was being held hostage during the nearly three weeks she was missing. Studies have found that law enforcement in rural communities where many Native Americans live have not been able to document missing and murdered indigenous women properly, and often jurisdictions are unclear as to who has jurisdiction over many cases involving indigenous people. To make matters worse, some tribal police have abused their power extensively by committing heinous crimes against women knowing there will be no consequences. The community has grown tired of seeing girls go missing and murdered in Bighorn County. Therefore, Crow tribe members and County Prosecutor Jay Harris created their own police force on the 2.3 million acre reservation after declaring a state of emergency due to the large number of major crimes in the area. Nearly a year after Selena's death, authorities charged 20-year-old Deandra Pittman with endangering the welfare of children for inviting Selena to her house for a party and providing alcohol. Tragically, Selena's twin sister committed suicide when she was only 11 years old. Her 24-year-old brother Preston was shot to death by Billings police officers, and her sister Tristan was hit and killed by a car. Selena was the only one of two siblings left in the family. As of February 2023, Selena's case is listed as an accidental death, but her family considers it unsolved. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.